0: Today's message is entitled, The Five A's of Missional Living, from Acts Chapter 3. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it is good to be home. It's good to be back. I was gone to Nicaragua. I thought, what better thing to do during missions? Actually, it's, not, it's the, probably the worst thing I could do during missions, emphasis, than to be gone. But I uh, felt it was necessary to, to go to Nicaragua and connect with um, our missions partners down there. And I'm going to give you a little report. The thing is, missionaries stand in the way... Missionaries eat up my sermon time, and I'm, while I'm not a missionary, I did a missions trip, so I'm making a missions report, but I need to keep it quick because uh, I'm standing in my own way, if that makes sense. So, like, I really want to tell you about this thing, but I don't want to keep you here till kickoff. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to say about what happened in Nicaragua. So NRN is an organization that uh, was birthed out of Northview as well as this church, and we've had a connection with that. From the very very beginning, we also had uh, Matt and Eva Barlow who were here two weeks ago, and I said after they shared, I'm going to be standing right there at that deaf school where that they've started and and been uh, invested their life in. So I uh, was able to do that. We spent I was I was gone for five days, three full days in total in country Nicaragua. During those three days, I went to four ser- services of some sort, church or chapel, uh, or Sunday school, which was a service all by itself because it was a, we had to go out for just that and four, I visited four different schools, so it was, it was jam-packed, there was other things I did, and I spent about 15 minutes souvenir shopping, so I did buy a Nicaragua baseball jersey, and I said, I'm going to wear this on Sunday, because I could get away with wearing a baseball jersey on the platform, and Craig and Brenna were with me on that trip to Nicaragua, and he just sent me a text as service started, where's your jersey, and I told him, I'm a big chicken, so (laughs) I'm wearing a baseball jersey inside, on the inside, so just a couple quick pictures, this is a The church is called Diez y Ocho de Mayo, which means the 18th of May. I always call it Cinco de Mayo. But uh, (laughs) this is our sister church. It's one of the churches that were planted out of Pastor Belser's ministry, which we'll see a picture of him in a second. It's in a very poor community. We went house to house to house and, and brought food to different leaders in the church, and we asked to pray with them in every single home. They were like, I am sick, and I need prayer. I mean, it's a real thing with just... I was kind of stunned after the second or third house going, oh, everyone's sick in this community. So um, Craig had a chance to preach there our last night, did a great job. One of the things, oh, by the way, Brenna is a rock star in Nicaragua. Uh, everyone knows her. And then one of the things that was, that was a trip is that people started as, asking for Nancy. And so she's also a rock star, but she was, uh, yeah. So anyways, um, the next picture is the feeding program that you'll that we participate in, NRN does feeding programs at certain sites, and there is a pod or a committee that uh, oversees that. We are represented on that pod because we have a feeding site at our partner church, uh, and the, the Durban sit on that, that pod or committee. Uh, so that was, that was really cool to see. I have a video really quick of about five seconds, and I really want to be brief about this report, but uh, I want to show you just, I sat in the front row, and it's funny because they're like, oh, the Americans are here. Let's double up these plastic chairs and make them sit in that, which made me feel awesome uh, because I just felt like I was, like, actually, you know what? Being a missionary in the Philippines, I I text Heather. I was like, hey, the people here are full size, unlike the Philippines. Uh, But I still had to sit in a double chair because they were afraid I was going to break it. So check this video out. Now, I want you to hear my heart on this thing. I really do believe that I was wrestling with some things and God maybe showed me some things. Um, I'm not making fun of that worship service at all. The truth of the matter is that congregation was worshiping and we as guests were worshiping. But it took me a moment to get over myself. I love ki- the pastor's kids or the band and the girl on the piano, the keyboards, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. In my mind, I'm thinking like this, dun 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 That's what I'm thinking and I'm not making fun, I'm just, I'm going to confess something here, and the stage has a bunch of stuff, and there's a lot to look at, and it was very distracting, and then I realized, as a pastor, I think a lot about the context in which we worship. How does this look? How does this sound? And the truth of the matter is, I had, I had no idea what they were saying. I really couldn't even hear that lady sing, because it was so loud, but I worshiped, I and mean, I worshiped. Because my eyes were not on the context, but on the object of my worship. And for a moment there in that church in Nicaragua, I thought to myself, Lord, forgive me for being a consumer of worship rather than being consumed in worship. To put my eyes on the content or the context, but really not on the object of worship. I got real deep. Are we ready for the altar call? No, I'm just playing. The next slide is Pastor Belzer. He's the, if you will, he's the guy that planted a lot of churches, 22 churches under his ministry. Many of you know Pastor Belzer. He has been here before. Um, I was at his church, had the privilege of praying with, some, for, with someone to, re, to receive the Lord. And then the Barlow's Deaf School that uh, I had a chance to, to visit is the next slide. Should be a picture of a basketball court. Just, uh, just a beautiful place and location. With, uh, I got to speak at chapel. I got to speak with the teachers, and then again at chapel. First time in my life I've ever been translated, not translated period, but translated twice. Because I had to speak in English, because no, you'll know hablo espanol, whatever. Uh, and it went to Spanish, and then it went to sign language. It was, it was incredible. You have a picture of that next slide. That's, that's the chapel service. And in that chapel service, there was a number of presentations by the students because we were special guests. And I have a really quick video. We won't show the whole thing, but show this. this, this. Can I tell you, watching young people worshiping in sign language, and there's some hearing students in this school. They've learned sign language to communicate and to worship with their peers. It's an absolute beautiful thing. And now I really am um, ready for an altar call. All right. The next, uh, yeah, so it was an incredible time. I just want to say thank you. It wasn't really a missions trip. But it was a missions tour because these are some important, in the life of our church, and missions that radiate some very important strategic partners. And so what a privilege to be able to go with that. And with that, I would like to pray for our partners there in Nicaragua, and then we'll get to the message. Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to be a part of what you are doing both here and around the world. What a privilege we have that you've called us to you, and you've called us alongside you in this work of the kingdom. Two weeks ago, I stood here at this very spot, and I talked about giving and praying and going, and I thank you for a church that does just that, that has a heart being transformed and to reflect your heart. God, we pray for Pastor Irvin right now as he prepares for his Sunday, morning, his Sunday afternoon service, for Pastor Belzer, who's in the Sunday morning service, for the students in that deaf school and the students in the other schools that we visited, that the ministry of those schools would, would draw them to you. God, that you would strengthen the workers who are working, that your spirit would do a work, Lord, beyond what we can do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I mentioned this is our final week of our missions uh, emphasis, and I started this emphasis two weeks ago. And the big idea was that preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth is God's primary, or God's program and his agenda for the church. And I said, we could probably do our own agenda and our own program, and God would likely bless it because we pray that God would bless what we do. But it's far better to be involved in what he would have us do than asking for him to bless us after the fact, which is kind of a pretty common thing for me. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. But I want to, I stand by that statement that God would, that. that that we are to do what he wants us to do. But let me just say, I want to I just refine that statement because even in saying that we should do what God wants us to do, I think we could find ourselves tripped up because we can do what the Lord wants us to do. We could hear his voice. We could see in his word what he wants us to do. But if we put the emphasis on the do and we misunderstand the word do with the way we view the word doing something, I think we could find ourselves um, in trouble because doing becomes suddenly some burden like homework. It's like God's homework. And I don't know about you, but I never was like, yay, I was assigned homework. But sometimes we view what God has called us to do and to be as, as homework. Do we not, or is it just me? Sometimes it's like, I can't do this. It's beyond my ability, and oh, I'm going to muster up the strength, and hopefully I can do it. Lord, help me. I mean, we kind of view doing in, in, a, in a very much, it's all about us to get it done. He was good to us, now it's our turn to be good to him, so we should do For him. But I think I'd like to take a look at it, do, and I'll be honest with you, the direction this message is going is not something that I'm an expert in. As a matter of fact, recently in my own life, I feel like the Lord has reminded me uh, of this truth. It's not like a new truth to most of us. Some of us might maybe this is a discovery that's new. Most of us I think it's just a reminder of something that we already know. We already know here, but very often it's hard to really know it here, if you get what I'm saying in our hearts. I've not mastered this. I'm on a journey just like you. But I believe if you'll allow me to take you on the journey with me that God's taken me on, um, that we, as a result, will be able to continue to do and go and pray and, and give like he's called us to. Now, if you're not a believer here, I always kind of want to make sure that you know that you are welcome here. This message really is aimed for the Christians, those who say they're Christ followers. That's what this message is aimed for. But I believe there's truth for you today, too. See, this idea of doing maybe the obstacle that has kept you from faith. You're checking out things, but you feel like those, these requirements and this burden of this Christian life doesn't sound like what I want to sign up for, and, and I understand because, I'll be honest with you, sometimes we as Christians are demonstrating it incorrectly. We're making it this burden. We're showing you how strong and resolved we have, and if, if I'm strong enough to, to shoulder the burden for the kingdom, then you should be too, and, and maybe you don't feel like you can. So I don't know that we've done a great job representing really what God has called us to be and to do. I, I'm convinced that as we go through this text, because this text has a lot to do with who Jesus is and what he has done. There's a whole lot of theology in this text that's not necessarily, it's important to this message, but you may get a whole, we uh, maybe, may be able we'll to unpack some things about Jesus for you if you're checking out Faith and asking questions. If you have your Bibles, turn with me as we take a look at and reevaluate this doing in the church and this doing in terms of missions in particular, Second Corinthians chapter 5. And listen, we are in a series on the book of John. When I started that series on the book of John, I spent a whole week giving you background, and I still kind of give you t- little, little bits of background each week. We are not on a series in 2 Corinthians, but I feel like it's necessary to give you a little bit of background about 2 Corinthians because the context, the background... The themes of 2 Corinthians will help us understand the text we're looking at today. Really quick background on 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Yeah, you guys are smart. Uh, now, Paul wrote several, several letters to them. It's a very emotional letter. He More than likely, this is at least the fourth letter he wrote. We don't have copies of all the letters, obviously. That's why we have a first and a second. But very likely, this is the fourth letter. And it reveals there was a rocky relationship between... The church, in Eph- the church in Corinth, and Paul. He had been there, he had planted that church, he was there for a year and a half, he went back and visited, and he's planning to visit again, and so the primary purpose, and one of the, the big ideas with this letter is to, prepare, him, to prepare, prepare the church for his next visit. But throughout this letter, Paul turns upside down the expectations of how we see and understand the world. He turns things upside down because God turns up, things upside down. God takes the lowly, the despised, the weak to accomplish his purposes Listen, just a real quick summary of some of the upside-down themes in the book of 2 Corinthians. Comfort comes through affliction. Sufficiency comes through insufficiency. Life comes through death. Blessing comes through suffering. Salvation comes through grief. Abundance through poverty. Boasting through hardships. There is an upside-down, and guess what? We're going to see some upside-down in our text today. Once again, that's 2 Corinthians. that's on the board, chapter 5. We're going to be there in a moment. But all of this upside-down way that God works comes to a climax in chapter 12, verse 9, where Paul's praying about the thorn in his flesh, and God's response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you for what? My power is made perfect in weakness. There's an interpretation clue to our text today. If I ever were going to spoil the sermon, that's about as close as it gets. Weakness is God's chosen means to display his grace and glory. It's a theme throughout 2 Corinthians, but it's definitely a key to helping understand our text. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 11 because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord we work hard to persuade others God knows we are sincere and I hope you, and I hope you know this too we are, commend, are we commending ourselves to you again no we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having spect- spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart Paul is talking, of course, about those who would be his rivals, those who would question his authority, those who would question his legitimacy as an apostle. He did the work amongst them. They know him. But yet there's others who have risen up to question Paul, and they are the ones with spectacular ministry. And Paul is appealing to having a sincere heart instead. If we seem to be crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How different we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are, his, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We, sh- we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now let me just say this. Many, many missionary or missions-themed would start at chapter 18, and there's a temptation that I have to start at chapter 18. This, you know, We have this message of reconciliation. We are Christ ambassadors, and I could pep rally this thing, and I could try to pump you up to go do your best for Christ. But again, we find the same problem of doing something for Christ. And very often, we, I feel like we, we over-spiritualize the decision-making, like, God, what you want me to do? And he's already told us, but God, God, God. And then we finally make a decision, and we kind of forget God in it, and we take it all upon ourselves to do the very thing he's called us to do. It's kind of over-spiritual, and then throw, throw out God in the process, because we do things in our own strength, and we do things in our own strength and our, bil- our own ability own ability. Let's walk through this passage really quick. The first few verses there that we just read, 11 through 13, Paul is defending his ministry. This is is a theme throughout all of 2 Corinthians. He's defending his ministry. He kind of reiterates his theme from chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I won't read that, but essentially he's saying, I'm accountable to God. My life is an open book. I'm confident before God because he knows and searches the heart. But I'm frustrated with you, Corinthians, because you judge by appearances. See, Paul is saying, God knows me, and he validates my ministry, but you know me, and you ought to know me, but apparently you don't. And you ought to recognize that despite what people are saying, that my ministry is valid as an apostle. Then we move on to verse 14, and Paul reveals his motivation. What's Paul's motivation for being an apostle? Now, we read this sometimes, and we hear the we's. Paul is really talking about we as in he and his crew. When I was a missionary in the Philippines, I learned Tagalog. They have two different we's. They have the we And then the we, but not you. Paul is talking and defending the we. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because when he says we are Christ's ambassadors, he's not talking about we, but he's talking about we, but at the same time he's talking about we. We'll get there. (laughs) Just, Just roll with me. But let's just do interpretation before we do application is all I'm saying. Paul's motivation comes from God's reconciling work. That God is the one who took the initiative. We don't see this word reconcile until, chapter, until verse 18. It's the very end of this section, 14 through 18. In the first part of the book, the ESV will, will, will say it's reconciling. Your, your original Greek will say it's reconciling. The New Living will just say, brought us back to himself. Reconciling is like justification. It was a legal standing, that I could stand before God legally because of what Christ has done. Re- reconciliation is the relational standing, that I'm acceptable, that I was once enemies, but we are now friends because of reconciliation. This is the work that God is doing. And it's not based on our merit, but it's based on what Christ's work on the cross. So verse 14, he says, Christ's love controls us. There's the influence of Christ's love in what we do. There's a hint there of the overall point of this picture. And in verse 14 and 15, he both said, he says twice that Christ died. Christ died, in verse 14, so that we have died also to our old life, In verse 15, Christ died so that we have received new life and no longer live, those who have received new life no longer live for themselves. And what's the result of that verse 16? A changed attitude on how we view Christ and others. He says, we used to look from a human perspective, but not any longer. But why is there a new attitude? Because of Christ's reconciling work. Why is there a new attitude? That comes from verse 17. Take a look. There is a new attitude because that new attitude comes from a new reality, and that new reality is what Paul would call and what we would call being in Christ. Paul's point is that being in Christ brings about a dramatic change in a person's life. If anyone is in Christ, they are what? A new creation. My translation says a new person. There is a newness to our life when we are in Christ, there is a dramatic change into, from what we used to be to who we are. It's a change that God accomplishes and that we yield to. Can I say that again? Because I always kind of felt like God saved me and said, now clean yourself up. You didn't have to be clean to get here, but you better clean yourself up now. Like, I was smart enough to know that I didn't have to earn my salvation, but I really kind of lived afraid that I had to keep my salvation. But God's the one who keeps us. When we are connected to Christ, his life flows through us. And guess what? The vine and the branches, what Jesus uses as an example of himself and, and those who are connected to him in John chapter 15, it's the strength of the vine that holds a weak branch to it. Not the strength of the branch that holds on to the vine for dear life. Because if it was up to me to hold on to Christ, I'd be in trouble. But the vine is strong and holds the, holds the branch that is weak. Ooh, strength and weakness. Does that sound like a familiar theme to 2 Corinthians? I've already spoiled my sermon. Romans chapter 6, Paul says a very similar thing to the church in Rome. We are dead to sin, but alive to Christ, to God in Christ. In Galatians, Paul once again says something very similar. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm a new person, but that new person is not just a reset of me. It's a Christ in me. I am in Christ, and his life is lived through me. The new has come, Paul says. The old is past, the new has come. And there's a number of places where Paul says that, but this is actually kind of... Sounds a little bit like Isaiah, who in Isaiah 43 talks about God doing a new thing. and Paul's saying God did a new thing in the person of Christ. So we saw Paul's motivation and now we see Paul's message and his message is the same thing as his motivation. It's, the, it's God's reconciling work. He is motivated by God's reconciling work because he has been reconciled and now his message is that others should be reconciled. Look with me, because in verse 18 you see a shift. It's a shift away from what God has done for, for them to what call, God has called him to do and to be. Oh, well, there's that word do, but it's a different do than we think of do. That's, that's going to sound weird out of context. Uh, thank you for laughing. I love you. You're my, you're my favorite congregant. Can I say that? You still love me? Okay. Paul shifts from focusing on God's reconciling work to his, to his partnership in God's reconciling work. He has given us this task at the end of 18, the last half of 18. He has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He's discussing, he's discussing his partnership with God in the work of reconciliation of others. His partnership is, is proof of his disciple of his apostleship, which is really what he's doing here. He's defending his, his, his office. And while he's talking about himself, he, and I said it's not a we, but it's a we. It is a we. It's us too. Because we, like Paul, have been reconciled with God and continue to partner with him to see others reconciled as He reconciles others. We, too, have died to our own life. We, too, have a new life in Christ. We, too, are in Christ, like Paul describes. We, too, are new, a new creation. Verse 19 starts off with, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully God, fully man, The one who steps out of heaven, the Logos, who takes on flesh, lives amongst his creation, dies, resurrects, and ascends to the Father. I think we take for granted that Jesus Christ is in heaven, and we talk about him interceding for us. But you know, he's in heaven, fully man and fully God. It's not like he shed humanity when the job was done on the cross. A weird thought. I mean, it's not a weird thought, it's just a thought. We have one who walked where we walked, the great high priest. God takes on, takes on flesh. Now, the verse, last half of verse 19, we come to this doing again. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Here we go, Jerome. I knew there was going to be something we have to do. I knew there was something that we have to, 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 to shoulder and to carry. And here we go. It's our task. Remember earlier we said, I said how the doing can trip us up if we don't understand it properly. If we are a new person, a new creation, like Galatians chapter 20 says that I just read, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lives in us. Okay, this is the coolest quote I've ever seen in my life. Okay, maybe I set that up too much. But when I was studying for this message, I came across this quote, and I think this is a beautiful summary of what we just read. Jesus Christ takes on flesh. Okay, actually, here's the quote. It comes from a 17th century Anglican minister named John Newton. John Newton. He's also the, never mind. Christ has taken our nature into heaven to represent us and left us on earth with his nature. Because we are in Christ. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me to represent him. Let me read it again. Christ has taken our nature into heaven to represent us and he has left us on earth with his nature to represent him. And that representation is not so much that we have to do the representing, but we have to let his life Live through us. Verse 20 is the verse that was like the the killer verse that you go in for the kill when you're going to preach a pep rally for missions. And you say, we are Christ ambassadors, so start doing better. I'm not saying that at all. Paul says that they are Christ ambassadors and by extension, we too are Christ ambassadors because we have been reconciled with God like he has. And we've been called alongside the Lord in in his work of reconciling, reconciling the world. But in verse four, in chapter four of this very same book, he calls us fragile jars of clay. Weakness that God uses, that Jesus Christ shows His strength through our weak, fragile jars of clay. He shows that He is strong. We are Christ's ambassadors, but we are not Christ's ambassadors because we have to shoulder the representation of Christ. We simply have to yield to his life in us. This is my point I want you to get if there's nothing else. As Christ ambassadors, we are more than representatives, which we are, but we are an extension of him. As Christ ambassadors, we are more than just representatives, having to represent in our own strength and our ability, but we are an extension of him because he dwells in us. And honestly, I really feel like we just have to yield to his life in us. I think when when it comes to... And this is beyond missions, but when it comes to temptation, it's not about me being strong enough to resist it. It's about me saying, I'm dead to that because Christ died and he is dead. And I'm alive to Christ because he is risen and I'm alive in him. And I am going to yield to his life in me. You guys remember I told you that I went to Seattle because I have a ministry that I connect with there periodically. One of the things I did is I confessed because I want to illustrate this here even though, yeah. I went to Seattle and I said, here are all my problems. And they said, no, it's not your problem. But I said this, I said, listen, I'm like nine months into being a senior pastor and like the new car smell is starting to wear off. Um, oh, I'm being serious. Like, uh, as a matter of fact, I read somewhere in, in this group of ministers, we were kind of conversing and one of them who's a little bit ahead of me in the journey says that first year, everyone loves you because you're not the last guy. They said they, they love the last guy, but it's just new and fresh and different. But, but the second year, everyone's kind of like, oh, you're not the last guy. And so I really do feel like I'm in the shadow of Johnson Arrow, and I, man, I, I do wish he was here, and we all do, but he was really good. You've heard me say this from the platform. He was really good out there in that lobby, shaking your hand and giving you hugs. And when I, first was, when I was first voted into this church, Everyone's like, you have to become a hugger. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know that I'm a hugger. I know I'm not a hugger. Ask my wife. I give my wife the church one-handed hug, all right? <laughs> and so I was like, Jerome, you got to push yourself because you can't. You've got you to push yourself. you got to do better to love people. I told the search committee, man, I, I love people deeply, but I don't know that I always show it because I have my own insecurities, I've put my foot in my mouth enough because of ADD that I've, I've got stung and I kind of like don't know what I say. I'm really great one-on-one, but I'm terrible working a crowd. I'll just be honest with you. It's like you don't already know that already. Because some of you were like, when I first came to pastor, you would hug me and expect me to hug you back. And now you're like 10 months in, you're like, I'm going to give you an awkward hug because that's what you do, Jerome. You know I mean? like, You've, you've been really kind and gracious to me because you don't demand I hug you. But it's like, why do I want to hug Jerome? It's like hugging a dead person. I mean, I, you know, I'm just, it's, ill. Okay, so back to my story. I'm in Seattle, and I say this. I say, I say, I need to love, I need to love my people better, or at least demonstrate the love that I have for my people better, because I'm not good at it. And they said, Jerome, what you're thinking about is, you're thinking about doing and it's this burden that you have to muster up the strength to do. They said, you know what? Go in the lobby of your church because I did it before I left for Seattle because I was doing. But I came back with a different mindset. I did the same thing. I stood right there at those doors. Now that I'm not new, I could actually make it out there. And I, but this is what they said. They said, you're thinking about loving people as I have to do this. I have to demonstrate my love because you know what? Let Christ love your people through you. There is a freedom I'm still not great at it. But I don't have to be great at it because Christ through me is how I want to do. do. I do do, but it's through Christ who does the doing. <laughs> does that make sense? Christ is at work. As Christ ambassadors, we are more than his representatives. We are an extension of him. We are not just left alone to represent him because he is with us as we do what we do. And he's the one. If we allow him, if we yield to him and let him do it, let, I'm going to give you some real application. If that's true, that we are an extension of him, not just his representatives, then what does that mean? Two weeks ago, I stood here and I said that believers should pray, should give, and should go, and I stand by all of that. But now let's look at those same three application points in light of Christ in us. We are in Christ, that he does his work through us, and not us doing it for him without him. When we pray for missions in the harvest of the world, may we pray as an extension of him, May we pray with the same burden that reflects his heart and not have to muster up a burden and feel guilty because maybe we don't have that vision for missions. He does, and he's in us. He is interceding for us. May he intercede through us for the global harvest. Take the focus off of doing, and prayer becomes less of a burden. For some of us, we're like, I'll pray all day long. For most of us, it's like, I'll pray for a while. But that burden becomes... Not a bad doing, but yielding to his life in us. May we give. Yeah, we should give. And I know I I spoke passionately about giving. But may your giving be as an extension of him and not because you feel guilt or your arm being twisted. May your giving be an extension of his life in you. This same exact book in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the collection for the church in Jerusalem, and he writes this. Because I believe that if we can give as an extension of him, that that we're able to do this well. But I want you to be a willing, but I want it to be a willing gift, speaking of the gift they were to give to Jerusalem. Not one giving grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seed will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Listen, if you allow Christ to be the one who gives through you, I don't think you need to worry about giving reluctantly or in response to pressure. And I do think we find that cheerfulness and that joy in giving because he ultimately is a giver. This same passage could be a, a source of guilt, can't it? I'm going to give cheerfully, and I'm going to force that smile. I don't want that for you. Let the life of Christ flow through you when you consider what to do for missions, what you consider as you give on a daily basis to the, to the kingdom. And then going, being as an extension of him. I just received, returned back from a short-term missions tour, but we want to do trips probably go to Nicaragua pretty frequently and maybe add a couple other locations on the globe. But may we go as extensions of him, his hands and feet. We say his hands and feet, but then we kind of go with our own hands and feet to represent him. Let's go as extension of him. I'm going to throw up just what you heard in the announcements really quick as we wrap up. Because I want to look at the doing that we have lined up here at this church in light of the fact that we are more than just representatives, but we are an extension of him. Op- open doors, Christmas pajama drive. There are a number of bags back there. You can get one today. And you can be like, Ugh, I want to make sure Kimmy sees me take one of these bags. I feel guilty if I don't. If there's Like the name tag, I just won't look at that table. Man, be involved in that as Christ's life through you. That's, I'm not going to really make a whole lot of application there. It's just if we look at our doing a little differently, as the life of Christ through us, that we love people because Christ loves people through us. We give because Christ gives through us. We go to our schools, to our homes, to open doors because Christ loves us. Operation Christmas Child, the next thing, there's another table right next to that, and you're like, oh, Jerome, there's so many things. Don't worry about so many things. Nobody's keeping score. If they are, tell me. I'll put them in detention." Do that as Christ, being generous through you, sharing his heart in the life of Christ in you. The Scarves Project, you see these scarves. That's something that they're taking a break because they've made all the scarves. These go to City View, and they're going to go in the the Christmas boxes for children this year. We're going to pray as we close this service, but this is an opportunity, and I think it's a really great opportunity to be involved in your own living room watching TV or whatever you do, throughout the year these things are created I don't know what it's like to knit a scarf in the middle of July but God bless you for you, those you do who do that but we're going to pray because there's children who will receive these scarves and these hats and I don't know that we're going to in, be like I, I don't know that anything spiritual is going to happen to the actual yarn but we're going to pray for those kids that this Example of love from this congregation would be just one more thing that God uses to draw hearts to Him. OK, this is the last one. <laughs> so when we talk about doing something for God, sometimes I said we over-spiritualize the decisions, and then we kind of do it without God, and we talk about, "I'm not called to this. I'm not called to this, okay? Can I just say this? I, I sang in choir for a semester and a half in college because there was a cute girl that was in choir. It happens to be my, my current sister-in-law. Uh, you don't know that story, and we'll save that for another day. But um, I followed this cute girl that happened to be the big sister of my future wife into the choir room and said, I'm going to sing in the choir too. Um, and I sang for like a semester, and then like the, the worship leader got in my ear and was like, sing louder, louder. He's like, oh no, you're in the wrong spot. Stood me up in front of all these people and walked me to a different room and essentially said, make sure this girl sings in your ear and just copy that. So, but here's the deal. I am convinced that this right here is not just for our pleasure. This is here is not something that we can just consume and enjoy. So I, with a little bit of Christ through me and maybe a little bit of arm pulling, I'm going to sing in this choir. Uh, (laughs) Not because I was guilted but I really do believe that this is a gift to our community. You have to go to like downtown and some performing arts center to get choirs anymore, right? Where do you get Christmas music live and in concert? So I want to be part of this. I want to give a gift to our community. And I would encourage you, if you're not in the choir or if you've thought about being in the choir, this is a great reason to do it. You don't need to pray about it. <laughs> you know. But I'll let you pray about it. I'm just saying. <laughs> May this be a gift to our community. May it be a blessing and may Christ be exalted through it. Please join the choir because I need someone to drown out my voice. Okay. <laughs> this is the final thing and we're going to close on this. I want to invite you guys because we're at a stage in, 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 in here at Radiant. Um, did, I, did I finish my story about year one, everyone loves you? And did I tell that story? In year two, everyone figures out you're, no, you're not the last guy and it's like, oh, he's not the last guy. <laughs> um i kind of feel like we're in year two just because john passed like all of a sudden but i know god is doing some awesome things and i remember i made a video just a month ago saying how god has brought people and projects to our attention so there's this is vision 2020 night it's not even a night it's an afternoon this is not a building campaign i really believe this is about where god is taking us it's celebrating what god has done over this last year and it's dreaming about what god will do and where he's taking us. There is some preparation that's involved and it's involved in some of what God had already brought to our attention in terms of, of, of preparing for what's next. Um, we have a Vision 2020 uh, date. It's a, it's a one-hour event. It'll happen after, right, right after service. It's across the street in Bridgewater. Uh, desserts, coffee and lemonade. And we're going to talk about, we're going to celebrate what God has done we're going to talk about what God is doing and where he's taking us. And then we're going to prepare for where he's taking us. So I invite you out of that. It's November 24th. It'll happen right after service, about 1215. Um, there is a component that is a fundraiser component. But really, it's not just about the building. If it was just about the building, we'll call it Building 2020. But it really is about dreaming together about what God wants to do in this place. Um, I have some, some, some stuff I would like to share I just don't feel like this is the moment to do that, and that would be the moment to do that. So I invite you to be part of that. You'll hear more about that coming up. I, can I give you a teaser of that thing? I went and served uh, with Dan Rosenberger at Wheeler Mission. Loved it. You'll hear more about it later. All right. I'm going to close right here, but I just want to say one word to those who are just checking us out, and exploring faith. What you've heard is, and the band's going to come in at this time because we're going to close with a chorus of one of the songs we sang, and we're going to pray for these scarves. As I mentioned earlier, if you're not a believer and you're just checking out faith that this doing aspect of being a Christian might be the thing that's an obstacle to your faith, one of the things that you've maybe held on to saying, maybe I don't want to cross that line of faith. And I would say to you, don't worry about the doing part of being a Christian, worried about what God has done on your behalf. That's what your focus should be. Jesus Christ steps out of heaven, the God who takes the initiative to reconcile us, that we would be in right relationship with him. And those of us who have been reconciled, he's called alongside him in his work of reconciliation, just as Paul illustrated in this passage. As you leave today, I'd like for you to make sure you take this with you. This is our missions directory. This is a helpful guide when it comes to praying. Allow Christ to pray through you, right? There's a list of our missionaries. There's a list. There's pictures. There's even the opportunities to serve we can go in light of being an extension of him. Take that. If you throw it away, don't throw it away here. It'll hurt my feelings. Uh, we use a lot of colored ink on this thing, so take it. I won't go to your house and ask you to show it to me, but take this. If you have a card that you would like to uh, give as far as a commitment to missions, we do have ushers at the doors who will receive it. And Now, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen.